Is everything okay? Hear me fine? All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here today on God's holy Sabbath day, as we're commanded to do so. Just want to start with a quick scripture here in First John chapter two, verse three. It says, and hereby do we know that we know him, speaking of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, here's how you know that you know him. If we keep his commandments, we know that that's the true love of God that we can show him if we just honor him by keeping his commands. Not just believing in him, but believing him and responding to his commandments, trying to model our life after Christ. Now, what I want to talk about today, you know, if I think about the commandments, you think about the big commandments, okay, thou shalt not steal. Well, I don't think any of us are out robbing banks or anything, so we're probably doing pretty good there. I don't see a bunch of thieves out here. Thou shalt not commit murder. I don't think any of us in this room, I would hope not, have ever taken part in committing murder. If you have in the past and you've repented, then God's forgiven you. That's great. But, you know, for mo the most part, I think most Christians would say, hey, I'm not out murdering people. I'm a pretty good person. I'm keeping the commandments. But what I want to talk about is uh, some different angles about the commandments. I want to start off by asking you, have you ever seen that show, What Would You Do? Anyone ever seen that show? Do you know what show I'm talking about, What Would You Do? It's, it's like one of those shows like um, Candid Camera or something like that. It's actually an undercover show. They set people up, put them in these interesting situations where people have to make a moral decision on, to do something. And then the question is, well, what would you do in this situation? So I'm going to give you a couple scenarios here. Now, this one has nothing to do with me ever. All right. So you've butted heads on multiple occasions with a team member at work. That's never happened to me. Also, you've been striving to achieve a promotion at work, putting in extra hours, going the extra mile to accomplish your goals, trying to get noticed by your boss. Now, maybe you and your boss don't quite have that click yet. It's, maybe you feel a little uneasy sometimes around your boss, so you're always looking for opportunities to build rapport with your boss. And you have this opportunity to go on a trip, a customer visit, and you're going to be traveling with your boss. You have this great opportunity, you're out at dinner with him, having a couple beers. And your boss starts talking about this guy that you've ha been having trouble with. Starts talking negatively about him, saying, you know, that guy's just a pain in my rear end, and He's just not doing his work well. He's, he's, uh, I think he's incompetent. What do you think? Now, this is an opportunity to kind of connect with your boss a little bit, maybe commiserate with him. And After all, you haven't been getting along with this other guy. Then again, maybe it's not the best idea to be talking about your team members to your boss. What would you do? Now, I know it's easy to say, oh, I know exactly what I do, but when you're in the situation, it's not so easy, is it, if you think about it? 
could you see how some people would be like, yeah, you know, that guy, I don't think he's that good. He does this or does that. And before you know it, you're both taking part and really talking bad about one of the people you work with. You know, James chapter 4 tells us, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's a sin. Here's an opportunity for you, even though you might not get along with this guy, I don't, maybe he doesn't, you know, you don't think he's incompetent. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to stand up and defend him. Maybe awkward, you might run the risk of embarrassing your boss. Maybe your boss might even say, I'm just going to lump this guy in with that guy. And maybe you won't get that promotion. What do you think the right thing to do would be? Perhaps defending him? Not talking bad about him? Tactfully? It's a challenge. Here's another one. You're at the grocery store. Just had a long day. The kids are not being that good. And your baby, your two-year-old's crying. And you go through and you pick up the grapes. You set the grapes in the cart, and the baby starts throwing a tantrum because your baby wants a grape. Now, you know that you pay for these grapes by weight. <laughs> Baby's crying. Boy, everyone's looking at you. If you just give this baby a grape, you'll shut him up. Do you give him a grape? Later on, you're unloading your groceries, you're in the car, getting ready to load the groceries, and you're loading the groceries, and lo and behold, you see a candy bar that you didn't pay for that the kid threw in there when nobody was looking. You're in a hurry, you've got to get to an appointment. What do you do? See, I think a lot of times, brethren, when we think of the, of the commandments, we think of the real big things that happen to us in life. But isn't it that life is really lived in all these little small moments that happen to us every single day? Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 20 because I want us to understand something about about life and about what God expects of Christians. You see, God has different expectations of different people based on their situation in their life and what they know, the knowledge that he has revealed to them. And Christians have a very high standard in God's eyes. Over here in Revelation chapter 20, this is after Jesus Christ returns. The great white throne, judgment, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, this is talking about Jesus, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Uh, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. People were afraid at this point of Jesus when he was judging. And I saw the dead, small and great, who had obviously been resurrected, Stand before God. And the books were opened. Well, what books? Something to think about there. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now I think about the fact that God is recording our works. Is he recording just the real big ones? The big situations we get in? I think about the fact that God says he has the number, number of our hair, or the hairs on our head numbered. He knows us so well in such detail, even in these small moments when nobody's looking, God's there, isn't he? And he's watching to see how we as Christians are going to behave. You might say, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, something like taking a grape and giving it to your kid really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We have people chopping people's heads off. And Dave, you're going to get on me for giving a grape to your kid? Is it really that big of a deal? I'd ask you, is it stealing? Is taking a grape? I mean, I, I've done it. So I have to admit that I've done it. Is taking a grape stealing? Or is it just, you know, guys can be like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Just a grape. What I'm talking about, brethren, is a trait that I believe is critical for Christians and that God expects every one of us to develop over the course of our life. It's a trait that not only is critical for Christians, but it's critical for any leader. And as Christians, what are we being called to be? Kings and priests in God's kingdom. We are called to become the best leaders that this world has ever seen. Think of the greatest leader you know. God expects more from Christians. Dwight D. Eisenhower has a quote here about leadership. I want to share it with you. The supreme quality for leadership is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible. No matter whether it is on a section gang, a football field, in an army, or in an office. Talking about integrity. You see, integrity isn't just doing things when people see it. It's not just doing things when it's the big obvious dilemma or challenge morally. Integrity is what you do in the little moments of life when nobody's looking and nobody would ever find out. That's what integrity is. I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about integrity. Integrity is definitely a leadership trait. It's one of the 13 leadership traits of the Marines. I had to throw that in there. I've done a number of sermons about different leadership traits, so I wanted to focus today on integrity. So what does integrity mean? Anyone have an idea of what integrity means? If you were to define it? I think most people would say honesty. But you know, integrity is much more than honesty, brethren. If I read the definition of integrity, I look in Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Integrity, the first definition, 
It's very interesting is wholeness. Entireness, an unbroken state. Something that has integrity is complete and strong. There's no holes in it. The Constitution of the United States is an example. Guarantees to each state the integrity of its territories. Integrity, it's whole, complete. Second definition, the entire unimpaired state of anything. Unimpaired state. Moral soundness, purity, incorruptness, uprightness, honesty. The third definition, purity, genuine. So there's sincerity involved in it. Unimpaired. So I not only see honesty, but I see completeness and wholeness. Look up at Wikipedia. There's an interesting couple things that I got off of the article in Wikipedia about integrity. Their definition is that it's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Generally, a personal choice to uphold oneself consistently with those principles. In other words, having principles and then living by them in every single situation even when it comes to grapes at the grocery store. It goes on to say integrity can stand in opposition to hypocrisy. The opposite of hypocrisy is integrity. The opposite of integrity there is hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Saying and acting righteous but not being righteous underneath. See, we can live an apparent righteous life. We can do lots of nice things, but if we don't have the right substance underneath it, we're hypocrites. We're not complete. We're not whole. King David understood how important integrity was. In Psalm chapter 25, King David talks about how he needs to be saved by God. And in verse 20, he says, Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. Now, whose integrity is David talking about? He's talking about God's integrity. God is the epitome of integrity, isn't he? Can you imagine any circumstance where God would sin? What would Jesus do in those situations that I talked about at the beginning of this message? Jesus was without sin, wasn't he? What does God expect us to become? You see, there's a high bar for Christians. We are to have integrity, brethren. We have to develop it. In this scripture here that David was talking about, the word integrity, the the Hebrew word, is tom, and it literally means perfection. It's an interesting thought. Integrity equals perfection. 
well, we can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I mean, haven't you heard that? Well, hey, nobody's perfect. Sorry I did that to you, but nobody's perfect. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5, because I want us to understand something about what God expects of Christians. Matthew chapter 5, this is red letter, the words of our Savior, Jesus the Christ, during a sermon that he gave. You know, I see a lot of different messages. The whole word, this Bible is inspired word of God. But for, for me, when I see the red letters, it's the very God who created us speaking directly to us, first person. He says in verse 44, chapter 5, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that, do, that curse you, and do good to them that hate you. You see, it's easy to do good to those that like you, to keep God's commandments when it's convenient and easy and when it benefits you, it's much more difficult when it might bring inconvenience or turmoil to your life. Or to bless someone that is going to hurt you, an enemy. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, the natural reaction would be, if in this world, in our culture, if someone despitefully uses you, everyone would pretty much say you're justified to get even with them. Christ says it's not going to be the way with Christians. Why? That you may be the children of your Father. See, we have examples to set. We have you could say the burden of representing more than just us. We represent each other and we represent God Almighty. If you've endeavored to walk this Christian walk, then you can't get away from that, brethren. It's a responsibility that every one of us has. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. See, if we're following God's example, he treats evil and his enemies that way and sends rain on just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you do more than others? How are you different than anybody else? But God wants his Christians to stand out and be different. Do not even the publicans do the same? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Let me go back and read that again. What I don't see here is, try to be perfect. I don't see here, you know, be perfect as much as you can. This is a command. Be ye perfect. Now, just because we strive and make mistakes, thank God, Paul said it, thank God Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, intercessing for us, allowing his blood to pay for our sins when we do, God forbid, make a mistake and sin. But our expectation and our duty to God is to follow his commands. Didn't we just read that to love Christ is to keep his commandments? 
Isn't this one of his commandments? In Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. So part of being perfect is continually looking forward and striving toward God's kingdom, not looking backward. But the Apostle Paul also said that one of our duties as Christians is to be perfect. James, knowing this, this is in chapter 1, verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire. In other words, that you may be, have integrity. That you may have integrity, because that's the definition of integrity. Be entire, complete, and to be perfect. So brethren, it's important, and it's an expectation of God that we have integrity in our lives. I want to take a little bit of time and go through some examples of others that have had and demonstrated integrity. Before I do that, though, I want to I want to just uh, drive home and uh, you know further drive home this point that it's not just the big things; it's the little things that matter. It's little everyday things that take um, or ca cause people to take note. I don't know if you every of you have had experience of that. Of maybe you had an opportunity around something like the Sabbath or some situation where you thought it was a little thing, but you, you demonstrated some good Christian integrity. You stood on principle, it stood out, and it, it caused someone to take note. See, it's those little things sometimes that catch people unexpectedly that are the true witness. You know, it's great to support the message. We have to do that. But sometimes we think witnessing is getting up and speaking. Sometimes we think witnessing is having an opportunity to, to get out the Bible and, and show some of our friends scriptures to help them convince or teach them about the truth of God. I actually think the most powerful witnessing is when we demonstrate integrity in those little quiet, small things that people might take note of. I had this article. I want to go through a few more of these. I think it's interesting to just uh, think about some of these things. It says, Everyday Ethics, Real Responses to Little Moral Dilemma. And it's written by Catherine Williams. I just want to go through these. What she did is she sent a survey to 25 of her friends. And she asked them to answer these questions and provide a little commentary of why. So I'll, I think it's interesting to see how many people answered Yes and no in some of these. So is it okay to use work supplies or mail or a stamp from work for personal use? Of the 25 friends, 10 of them said, yes, it's okay. Nine said, yes, but they didn't feel really good about it. Four said no. So most people would say it's okay. She talks about this. She says it's interesting. Some of them talked about the fact that, well, it depends on which company. It depends on, you know, if I've 
you know, it depends on if I um, have a lot of money or not, or if I'm struggling. You know, if I'm going through a tough time, maybe it's okay. You find $20 on a bus seat. Do you ask around to see who dropped it? I'm not looking at anybody specifically here. Okay, 20 people said yes, they would. One said with reservation, I guess they were struggling. Oh, that 20 bucks, I really need it. Two said no. They'd keep it. Your wife or husband has left his or her email open. Do you take a look and read the emails? Seven said yes, they would. Three said yes, but they'd feel bad about it. They'd had some reservations. Eighteen said no. The clerk at the grocery store gives you too much change. Do you give him the change back? Seventeen said yes. Three said yes with reservations. Two said no. Boy, I wonder who these two friends are that keep saying no. <laughs> Is it okay to stretch the truth on your taxes? You know, taxes are unfair anyway. They're taking too much. Just equaling it out. How many do you think said yes out of 25? Someone take a guess. All of them? This is interesting. Only five said yes. I guess they're worried about audits. Don't mess with the government. Uh, is it okay to take free samples of something even if you don't have any intention of buying it? Well, we go to Costco all the time. That's the only reason I go to Costco, really. Now, I don't know if that's right or wrong, to be honest with you. Hey, if they're giving it away, it's marketing, right? Goodwill. 23 said yes. I guess two didn't answer. Your hairdresser, doctor, or dentist is fully booked for two weeks. Is it okay to see someone else? Okay, I'm going to skip that one. You wear a shirt, you buy a new shirt, you wear it once, you decide you don't like it, is it okay to return it? Six said yes, 13 said no. Last one, you're about to serve food to a guest at a dinner party. You drop a part of it on the floor. You can salvage it. Do you still serve it? No. Nine said yes, they would. <laughs> you know, if you read through some of this, it's interesting because a lot of the people that said no gave reasons for why. Like, well, you know, like I said before, it was... Depends on the company, it depends on how big the company is, et cetera, et cetera. And isn't that usually the case? We can usually rationalize why we do certain things. You know, I think of what I just saw in the news in Baltimore. For me, one of the most obvious breakdowns of integrity is looting and stealing when you're mad about something. I remember the first time I saw it, I was in Shanghai, China. It was back um, 
in the early 90s, and this was the riots out in LA. And I was watching it on international news, and I was embarrassed for my country. I was in China, and I see these people looting stores. And I was thinking to myself, I can't believe how many people are constrained from breaking the law and stealing and breaking things of others only for fear of getting caught. That when there is no consequences, when no one's looking, it's kind of mind-boggling of how many people would have a breakdown of integrity. See, as Christians, God sees everything we do. And you never know who else is looking, especially nowadays when everybody's got iPhones and can take videos of you. Integrity is important, brethren. It's a big deal. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. In other words, these little things, like a grape, is the least. If you're faithful with a grape, God can trust you. People can trust you. Your brethren can trust you. That's integrity, brethren. I want to go and share some examples here. These are a couple stories that I just love. I love to tell my children. First one, let's go to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Because I, I think uh, I can uh, be hard-pressed for me to find a better example of integrity when you think of doing what's right when it could bring consequences, when it's not convenient. So Daniel chapter 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar. It's a cool name, isn't it, Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, maybe only a boy, a guy would think that that's a cool name. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and Jerusalem. Did you know that Nebuchadnezzar wrote part of the Bible? It's another story. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, or Shinar, to the house of his God. He was a pagan. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spoke to Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and the princes children in whom was no blemish, but of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom. So he wanted to take the best of Judah and surround himself with them to serve him. And intelligent in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability to them to stand in the king's palace. Now, if you think about it, this would be just like someone taking over this country a tyrant who is going to persecute you, you and your people, and you could be selected to be part of the king's 
inner circle and an advisor, and you could imagine you'd get taken care of pretty well. So children in whom there was no blemish, etc., and such as had ability to them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's food. So they were going to get probably the best food. I mean, the king's food was the best in the land, wasn't it? Now, these were not Jews that are keeping the dietary laws. We know in Leviticus that God told the Israelites what food is good, clean, what food's not clean. So you know Daniel and those were keeping the dietary laws, but Nebuchadnezzar wasn't. But this was good food, plenty. So he was going to give them food, and apparently he wanted to fatten them up a little bit. The king appointed daily provisions of the king's food and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. So he wanted to give them food and nourish them for three years that at the end of them they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. So they changed their names. They said, okay, Daniel, your new name is Belteshazzar, and Hananiah is Shadrach, and Mishael is Meshach, and Azariah, you'll be called Abednego. So he gave them different names. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself Now, you can imagine in this situation, it's easy to read over this, but here the new tyrant is giving you favor. If you push against him or are not going along, he may do whatever, put you in jail, may kill you, who knows? Some of us might think, just shut up. Hey, Daniel, just eat it. Don't get us in trouble. It's only a little thing. It's just a little bit of food. I mean, it's not like you're out killing anybody. He isn't asking you to go murder anybody. Keeping the dietary laws could be a witness. It's interesting. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's food, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, do you think Nebuchadnezzar might get offended at this? The eunuchs certainly demonstrated some concern. It says, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. So the prince of the eunuchs actually liked Daniel. And the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. He has appointed your provision and your drink. For why should he see your faces more meager than the children who are of your sort? So he was probably saying, look, I get it, Daniel. I don't want you to eat this stuff. But if you don't look healthy, we're going to get in trouble. Then will you make me endanger my head to the king? Come on, Daniel. Then said Daniel to Melzer, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove your servants, I beseech you, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. 
So I don't know what pulse is. I guess pulse would have just been some basic food, maybe bread, vegetables. Certainly not the king's food. It says, and let our countenance be looked upon before you. And the countenance, and so Daniel basically said, look, we'll just eat this stuff and you tell and see if we're you know, withering away or if we're healthy. If we're healthy, then you're good. Then we'll just continue to eat our provisions and not the king's food. So he consented. He went through 10 days and their countenance appeared fair and fattier than the flesh of all the children who ate the portions of the king's provisions. So this implies that there were other Jews, because these weren't the only four Jews that they took, right? It implies that there's more that were eating the provisions. So these four stood out and showed integrity. A little thing. They stood up for what was right. So Mauser took away the portion of their food and the wine they should drink and gave them Pulse and it's for these children. God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. In other words, because of this, God blessed them. God took note and blessed them. And I'm sure this had a witness on the prince of the eunuchs as well, didn't it? What faith and conviction. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king commanded with them, or communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah before they stood, or therefore they stood before the king. In other words, the king was thoroughly impressed with them, based on the way God blessed them. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times superior to all the magicians and astrologers that were in the realm. Now, do you think that that would bring danger? Create some enemies, wouldn't it? You know human nature. I'm sure politics back then was just like politics today. I'm sure the magicians and the astrologers that were surrounding Nebuchadnezzar instantly started looking for how they're going to get rid of these guys. So that leads to the next story. I want to turn over to chapter 3 of Daniel. Chapter 3, another test, brethren, where their integrity was going to be on display. Here in chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. All right, so here Nebuchadnezzar is happy. Everything is good. Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are serving the king, and he's impressed with them. And all of a sudden, the king says, I got this idea. Let's make this image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and the breadth of it six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and you can be sure that Nebuchadnezzar was proud of this image. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to convene the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the princes to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the princes were assembled to the dedication of the, of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that he set up. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear a sound 
of a cornet, flute, or any other musical instrument, you fall down and worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Now just think what all these magicians were thinking. Here's our opportunity. Let's see what Daniel and these smarty pants guys are going to do. Nebuchadnezzar said, Whosoever shall not fall down and worship shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, put to death. Now again, it's easy to read over this, but if you really put yourself in this situation, imagine you knowing that if you don't do what this king, who just took over your country, says to do, he's going to kill you. You're going to be put to death, thrown into a furnace. Maybe put it in more modern language. You're going to be lined up in front of a beach and your head's going to be chopped off. It's essentially what happened. The enemies took control. It would be easy to justify, God certainly doesn't want me to die. I'm under duress. He's going to forgive me if I have to bow down and go through the motions. I, it's not sincere. I'm not keeping it in my heart. I know this isn't God. I'm just going to do this. Verse 8, wherefore at that time the certain Chaldeans came near, and guess what? They accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whosoever shall not fall down and worship, he shall be cast in the midst of a burning fire. Didn't you, king? Didn't you? Remember when you said that? Well, guess what? Hey, you know these guys that you like so much? There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. I hate to tell you, king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... I know you like them, but these men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor do they worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I don't know why Daniel's not called out here. Kind of interesting. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship this image. Even looking into death, facing into death. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and 
When I hear the, oh, Shadrach, it's almost like he's lamenting. Guys, is this true? My hands are tied here. I made a decree. Do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you'll hear the sound of the cornet flute, all this music, you fall down and worship the image which I've made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So here's the test. What would you do? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. I'm not worried about how I'm going to answer you. I'm not trying to be politically correct here. I'm just going to shoot you straight, Nebuchadnezzar. If it is so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnaces seven times more than it was wont to be heated, and in a rage, he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind them up, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their hose, and their hats, etc., and were cast in the midst of the burnt, fiery furnace. Because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire killed even those men that helped to throw them in. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And you can picture Nebuchadnezzar looking in, maybe standing there huffing and puffing, feeling satisfied. He looks in. What? I see four men. Oh, he was astonished. Verse 24 and rose up in haste and spoke and said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said, Yes, true, O king. And he answered, Lo, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, the governors, the captains, and the king's counselors being assembled saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. What a miracle. Neither were their coats changed, nor had the smell of fire passed upon them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a witness they were. Who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree 
that every people, nation, and language which speak any falsehood or anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It took integrity. It took soundness of their character. You know, brethren, that they were resting on their principles, on the commandments of God. What was motivating them to put themselves in harm's danger? To stand up and say that to the king? See, God expects nothing less of us, brethren, to stand up for him and for righteousness. There's a lot going on in the world today. There's plenty of opportunity to stand up, even in the little daily things of everyday life, little daily conversations that we have with our peers, our family members, the little challenges that every one of us face every day in our lives, where we have to make choices. Are we going to stay pure to God's word and his commandments with integrity, or are we going to compromise? I look at what these men did, and I think to myself, how could I not try to do better in my life with these little things? God forbid I ever have to stand up to a test like they did, where it might be my life on the balance. See, integrity like that, brethren, isn't something that's on the surface. You can't pretend it. It has to be part of our hearts. We have to feel that desire to serve God. We have to love his commandments so much it's part of us to be able to have that type of conviction. That's what we need to develop, brethren. Paul said in Ephesians that we are to serve God not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, from our hearts. First Titus, we're told, now the end of the commandment is love and charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unpretended. Purity, brethren. See, integrity is soundness of our whole being, both physically and spiritually. That's what we need to have. I mentioned about how it's not easy that we are to love our enemies, that we're to stand out and do more than what everybody else does, that it's when we do the things that others won't do is when we stand out. Most people would take a grape. But if someone sees you at the grocery store, why don't you give the kid a grape? Shut him up. No, I'm not going to do that because it's just not how I am. I don't want to steal. Wow. All right, here, let's, maybe we could hold your kid together and get him to shut up a little bit. It would make an impression on that person, wouldn't it? That's witnessing. That's an opportunity. 
How do you build integrity, brethren? Well, to do what's right, C.S. Lewis said the definition of integrity is to do what's right when nobody's looking. To do what's right requires you to know what's right. And there's a lot of definitions out there that you know, people have a lot of different views of what's right in the world. So we know that God is the standard. God tells us what's right and wrong. So to have integrity, you have to study God's word. You have to study the life of Christ. If Christ is perfect, then his personality is the model of integrity. You can't have integrity if you don't know Christ. And you don't know Christ if you don't study and get to know him. Pray. Have a relationship with him. That's the first thing. The second thing, brethren, is you need God's Holy Spirit. God says that when you're baptized and you commit to him, you go into the waters of baptism, you come out, he will give you a comforter, a helper, his spirit to help you in these moments because sometimes at two in the morning when you're the only one up and you get on the computer and a little ad pops up, it takes a lot of willpower not to click on it. You need God's spirit in those little moments to keep you grounded, to help you to overcome. And brethren, it's really striving to live by the royal law. How do you really have integrity? What was the, the driving force between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It wasn't because they were trying to stay out of trouble. See, a lot of people do a lot of good things because it's self-serving. If I do this good deed, then that person's going to pay me back someday. I'm building a whole bunch of little favors. I'm always doing good things for people. Self-serving. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did what they did because they love God. They love God. What's the royal law? Love God first with all your mind, with all your body, with all your heart. The second one, love others as you love yourself. See, if you are striving to keep those two commandments in every aspect of your life, you will have integrity, brethren. That's the recipe for integrity. Integrity is critically important to Christians. It's important to us. Brethren, the other lesson I get from the stories we read is that Compromising might get you out of a situation in the short term, but true blessings long term are given to those who demonstrate true integrity in their lives. I'll just leave you with the Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from the, thy eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from you a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from you. Let your eyes look right on. Let your eyelids look straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let, let all your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left hand. Remove your foot from evil.
Be ye perfect, brethren. Strive to be perfect. Living with integrity, really living by God's royal law, brethren, is what God expects of us. If you put God's royal law in your hearts and you strive to live with integrity, you will be blessed. And you will be bringing honor to God. You'll also be bringing honor to your family, to your fellow Christians and brethren, and you'll be bringing honor to yourself.